I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hey, everybody. It's the Wong Takes. Last episode of March. It is March 26th, 2019, on a Tuesday, although uh, it doesn't like go out later than Tuesday. But, nonetheless, we are here. And I don't know about y'all, but I might sound a little different today because it's allergy season. Allergies have hit me hard, even though I'm taking my daily Claritin. I still get the sniffles quite a bit. And um not looking forward to having this for the next few months, although I guess it's better than winter. But anyway, March comes with it. March Madness comes with it. Lots and lots of pollen. But nevertheless, I will be okay. <laughs> I, I, this is definitely better than the cold. Let me know in, in the email if you guys have allergy season blues. Monktakes at gmail.com. Let me know if you guys uh, face allergies too, because I certainly do. But anyway, the sports world went on despite my allergy blues. And the main thing we're going to talk about today is March Madness, because whenever the tournament comes around, I love to talk about it. So here we go. Overall, diving right into the bracket, this was all really chalky. I mean, just listen to the the, the seeds that are in the Sweet 16. 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 5, and 1, 2, 3, 12. Not a single 1, 2, or 3 seed lost in the first two rounds, except for, and, and two of the four seeds made it as well. And Auburn's a very good team in their own right. Uh, so, I saw on, I forget, but this is the year where the less experienced people win your bracket pool, because it's just basically straight chalk, and uh, even the one major spoiler, Oregon, was a pretty trendy team coming in. A lot of people were thinking Oregon were going to do some pretty big things. So, that's kind of disappointing. I was hoping we'd see a little more madness. But what that does mean is that we get the best matchups in the Sweet 16. I mean, just take a look at some of these. Uh, Duke-Virginia Tech, the explosive Virginia Tech team that got Justin Robinson back, playing a Duke team that barely escaped UCF in the second round. Who else? Texas Tech-Michigan, uh, the exciting Texas Tech squad going up against Michigan who started to stumble toward the end of the year but was otherwise really good. Uh, Gonzaga-Florida State. Florida State has been who demolished Murray State and John Morant in the second round with a barrage of shooting. Uh, going up against the Zags, who have been looked pretty dominant as well in this tournament. So just a lot of good matchups in the Sweet 16. Some of the, ref- but there are some reflections to be made from the first couple of rounds. Mid majors held in there; they definitely held in there, um, but they they weren't able to break through. A couple examples: I mean, Belmont, the at large from the OVC, almost beating Maryland. Uh, Yale staying tight with LSU. For a long time, uh, who else? Murray State getting to the second round. Northeastern losing to Auburn by one on that horribly managed end-of-game situation. Wofford staying close with Kentucky all game and just not having enough to pull through. But the Terriers look really good uh, in the tournament. So a lot of mid-majors that are kind of on the brink. Just not enough to beat these conferences. Power 5 or Power whatever it is, 6 or 7. Uh, teams in a little one game or one game sample size elsewhere some 
very low seeds, maybe inspired by UMBC's effort. Hung tight with the giants of the country, just weren't able to break through. Some cases that stand out, Colgate had a huge comeback against Tennessee, who went on to barely scrape by Iowa after almost historic comeback. Um, but the toothpaste almost hung in there, or almost was able to beat Tennessee. Bradley hung with Michigan State for about 45 minutes of that game before Michigan State had a late run to put it away. And three 16 seeds. Uh, North Dakota State staying with Duke in the first half. Uh, Iona staying with North Carolina. And also Virginia almost having their nightmare come true two years in a row. Uh, trailing Gardner-Webb by, I think, 12 at one point and trailing by 6 at half, but putting on a run and getting to a 15-point victory. So I think we're going to see a lot more of these close games. I mean, we, we did see a lot of them even before the upset of last year. I remember a few years ago, Gonzaga was playing Southern University. And Gonzaga ended up winning that game by six, but it was a nail-biter. And that was one of those games where it's like, wow, this is like, it's it's unlucky at this point that 16 seeds haven't beaten a one. And it the luck would prove to turn with UMBC. But it was like, wow, this can actually happen for real now, um, which was pretty interesting to see. Elsewhere, uh, let's take a look at your brackets. I wonder how your brackets are doing. For me, the side of the bracket that's essentially been ruined is this uh, South region. Because I had Kansas State and Villanova in the Elite Eight. Neither of those teams got out of the second round and made to Sweet 16. So that's kind of disappointing. But elsewhere, I mean, we're not doing too bad. I think the fact that, like I said earlier, this bracket is mostly chalk is going to mean that a lot of y'all are going to be doing pretty well. And I think uh, according to, I think on the official NCAA tournament game, uh, there is still a perfect bracket after the first two rounds, which is unprecedented. I mean, that's picking the first 48 matchups right. And this person has a legitimate chance to get a perfect bracket now. Um, which is pretty crazy, uh, and I, I don't know if we're ever going to see a perfect bracket. I think all these challenges of, like, the who can get a perfect bracket, I'll give you, what is it, a million dollars for life now? It used to be a billion dollars, now it's a million dollars for life. That's one of the safest bets you can get. Uh, I mean, the pure odds of it are just so astronomically low that... I don't know. I think I think it's a it's a safe bet for anyone involved. I did see a uh, chart party episode. Shout out to John Boyce, SB Nation. And it said the the synopsis of it was essentially the NCAA tournament is a gigantic loser machine. Like it just pumps out losers. There's one winner and sixty three teams go home unhappy. And we still love it uh, because hope is free. It costs nothing to say, we can do this. We can go on a historic run. I mean, one of the romantic things about college basketball is that literally, no matter how your regular season goes, literally any team has a chance to win a championship. If you can go undefeated in your conference tournament, get the automatic bid, and then win every game in the NCAA tournament, and since every team participates in their conference tournament, everyone has a shot to win the title. Uh, and depending on your perspective, that can be good or bad, but it gets rid of a lot of the, uh, although the NCAA tournament is somewhat ambiguous with the at-large bids, the automatic bids create a sense of egalitarianism 
Um, it, it really is who can win the most right now. Uh, and if you can win, and winning is everything, then you're going to win the championship. Um, and that's, that's something I, I, I kind of like that about college basketball. It's like, to an extent, everyone is in control of their own destiny. And that's kind of the American dream, right? Hope Everyone can hope. Anyone can think they have a chance to win. And uh, it's kind of the same thing with the perfect bracket, right? I mean, we're, in all, we're all in our bracket pools, but that aside, hope is free. I mean, anyone thinks they can fill out a perfect bracket, and that's why we do this exercise for the most part. It's like, I want to get as many things right as possible, and I want to get a perfect bracket. I mean, that's the goal of everyone. I had a perfect bracket after, I think, the first eight matchups, and I was, like, on my high horse, like, whew, this is going to be a fun day. Um, and I ended up uh, not, not getting that perfect bracket by, like, Thursday afternoon. But nonetheless, I mean, the excitement there is in just being invested in every single game, or almost every single game, is something that you don't really get to replicate throughout the rest of the year, or any times in life. Um, uh, and so I, I just think that's why I love March Madness so much. I mean, it's really fun to just know that there are 63 games, and you have a stake if everything goes well in every single one of them. Um, and that can be exhausting, but... This first weekend is three quarters of the games. Another thing that I thought about: this first weekend has three quarters of all, over three quarters, in fact, of all the games that will be played in this NCAA tournament. Um, so that's bittersweet. Um, I wish we had more more weekends of just nonstop basketball, but then again, it is a little bit exhausting. I mean, flipping back and forth a lot, um, and mood swings go like crazy. I mean, after Villanova got blown out. Uh, and to or lost in a blowout to Purdue, who was one of my final four picks, I was just dejected. But hey, that's you, 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 you grow with it, and you come to love it, you come to hate it, whatever it is. It's it's the mood swings that I think we all get super invested in, and what we all really like. As far as the Sweet Sixteen goes, I'm gonna make my picks right now. I've got. Duke over Virginia Tech. I think the game against UCF was an anomaly. Um, I think Duke should be able to control pace, um, and they should be able to take this game. I've got Michigan State over LSU. Michigan State looked really good against Minnesota, and LSU scraped by Maryland. And I know games don't carry over. I mean, the, the momentum of games doesn't carry over, but Michigan State's got too much talent. Um, and while LSU and Schmalt Waters and them are are talented. I don't think they're up to the speed of Michigan State. I've got Gonzaga over FSU. All chalk so far. Uh Hachimura is a beast. Uh, I think Gonzaga takes that one. Michigan over... I got Michigan over Texas Tech. I mean, that's a coin flip matchup. I think that's one of the games I'm most looking forward to uh, come the weekend. Um, but uh, go blue. Over in the South region, I have Virginia over Oregon. Um, I think Kyle Guy and uh, forget the rest of them. But they're all really uh, talented and able to control pace, kind of like Duke, just the other way around. They go slow. I think Purdue is going to beat Tennessee. My first non-chalk pick so far of the Sweet 16. Now I've got no in- I've got no investment on this side of my bracket, other than I don't want the people in my bracket pool to win. Uh, so these are totally unbiased picks at least for this quadrant. Um, but Purdue looked really good against Villanova because they can shoot. If they can shoot the way they did against Villanova, 
And we see that second-half Tennessee team. No one can stop the Boilermakers. Also, my uncle went there. Uh, I've got North Carolina over Auburn. I mean, Auburn blew the doors off of Kansas. I mean, the score wasn't nearly as close as it seems. But Carolina's got an experienced team, which is something that a lot of these other squads don't have, especially with Luke May holding it down, uh, holding down the fort. And then I've got Kentucky over Houston. Big Blue Nation, especially if P.J. Washington is able to come back. That's going to be a huge addition to the middle of the floor, and we won't see some of the issues we saw with Wofford, uh, where they would have lost if Fletcher McGee had just even had a bad game. Um, but he had a historically terrible game. So in conclusion, Duke, Michigan State, uh, Virginia, Purdue, Gonzaga, Michigan, Carolina, Kentucky. And then I'll pick my Final Four, because next time I speak to you, uh, it will be Final Four time. So my Final Four, as currently constructed, is Duke, Michigan, Kentucky, and... Oof, I haven't thought about this, actually. <laughs> Duke, Michigan, Kentucky, and Virginia. Virginia just looks too talented. Um, and, and I think they'll be able to slow Purdue down um, and really jam it down their throats. So those are my picks, Duke, Michigan, Kentucky, and Virginia for the Final Four. Uh, three of those are, uh, are in my bracket, actually, so... Vested rooting interest for my part. Uh, I got five bucks on it, fifty bucks for the winner, so uh, it's a significant sum, uh, and I would really like to win that. But anyway, you don't get, you guys don't care about that. <laughs> Much for my bracket pool, in which case you do care about that. So there's my picks, uh, but you can see them online anyway. But I, I love March Madness. I've hummed one shining moment, I think, at least fifteen times uh, over the last week. Which is unsurprising because it's a catchy song. Ball is tipped. And there you are. You're running for your life. Okay, no one wants to hear me sing. Anyway, um, yeah, that's all I've got for March Madness. Um, by the way, I am killing it in the women's tournament. Uh, I don't know if y'all fill out a women's tournament bracket. I I did. I've got 510 points. In the women's bracket, and I am in the 90th percentile. I'm 7,000th in the world. Now, not as many people fill out a women's bracket, but I don't care. I, I at one point, was in the 100th percentile. I'm not anymore, unfortunately. Uh, but I still love following these brackets. Uh, did y'all find where True TV is? And Practical Jokers, plug. Um, Practical Jokers is a great show. On True TV. You guys should watch it. Anyway. Uh, that's March Madness. Okay, so a couple of quick... Well, maybe quick. Uh, sh- Shoutouts to people who are retiring. That announced or formalized their retirement this last week. First off, Ichiro Suzuki had officially retired from Major League Baseball this year. Last year, he was with the Marlins as a special assistant for a lot of the year, but now he's played his last game, fittingly, in Japan. And it's just a phenomenal scene to watch this guy who's revered in around the world, but especially in, in both Japan and the U.S., um, and to see how much love he got in Japan, how much he was able to show off for the fans, showing off his arm with a throw that made its way around the internet. But Suru, or, uh, Ichiro was just a phenomenal player. I mean, the last couple of years, he didn't put up the same production uh, as he did in 
as previous years. But still, in total, 3,089 hits. And that was in Major League Baseball. I mean, he came here when he was 27 years old. And he was still able to put up 3,000 hits. 1,400 runs uh, in over 2,600 games. Uh, just a all-around great player. And a guy who inspired a lot of people. I mean, I know just watching him play that he gave full effort and with guys like him and in basketball with like Russell Westbrook it's just great to see that guys that even though they're getting paid all this money they're not just lollygagging out there right they're giving their best and inspiring a whole new generation not to mention the Japanese aspect right there was a player on the Mariners name was Kikuchi his last name is Kikuchi and he was in tears when Ichiro came off the field um, and just he inspired so many people that I don't know if there's anyone singularly that has made such an impact uh, that he has because not only did he play the game at a really high level for a really long time, but it's not that often that you get to have that impact in multiple countries and especially at a time where baseball is really uh, embracing that global aspect, right? The last 10 years or so where they're uh, hosting or putting more emphasis on the World Baseball Classic, and a lot more players are playing in it, even though it's before the Major League Baseball season. Um, and we hear more about, you know, winter ball and uh, other places. Baseball's really going global, and Ichiro has played a monumental part in making it that way, at least in Japan and in other countries as well. So, shout out to Ichiro for a great career. Um, and, and getting to leave the right way. Also, Rob Gronkowski announced that he will be retiring. Uh, perhaps this is a temporary retirement. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be gone forever. Um, but if he is, Gronk was one of the best to ever do it. I mean, from the tight end position. His combination of strength, just pure at pure like muscle tone and uh, athleticism and then also his agility I mean if you watch him play and his speed I think it's a little underrated aspect of him if you watch him like outrunning defensive backs 50 yards down the field uh, he had this combination of factors that made him unstoppable at his best and it came down to just injuries with a problem but he really brought us into his world uh, he he, he normalized a bit players being out there and the juxtaposition of him uh, being the ultimate party animal slash meathead slash whatever you want to call him, which he takes as a compliment, juxtaposed with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, the Patriot way, never ceased to make any of us laugh, uh, and Gronk always made us laugh, um, and it was just a joy to watch him play. Um, because you knew he was going to be demonstrative. He was going to be excited to be out there. And uh, that's all we want from our athletes, right? Is to, to feel to live, to live feel vicariously through them. And also to watch them win. I mean, he was a historically great tight end. Um, and he'll first ballot Hall of Famer, probably. Uh, even though he uh, only is going to maybe end up playing for nine years. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back. I mean, he's too good not to, maybe in a year. I mean, Jason Witten's coming back, for crying out loud. So, uh, he's 37, and Gronk is about to turn 30. 
So I wouldn't be surprised to see Gronk come back at some point, but if he wants to retire, more power to him. I think he should if he feels that he's too tired or his body just can't take it anymore. Uh, He's got plenty of money, plenty of assets to uh, hang around with, um, and he'll be plenty fine. The Patriots, meanwhile, have to look for a replacement for him because he's kind of covered up a lot of their tight end struggles. I mean, what's another tight end that they've had since, like, Hernandez? We know how that ended. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if they try to target a tight end in the draft, uh, the Patriots do, because they're going to need one coming September, October. Um, Because Tom Brady, even though Tom Brady is world-renowned for being able to make something out of nothing as far as his receiving core go, he still needs um, at least a little bit, a little bit of talent to get open. Like in the Super Bowl, I mean, they only scored 13 points, and the reason they scored that touchdown was because of a throwing catch over two defenders, or kind of over two defenders. So I think Gronk has left a phenomenal legacy. And I think he won't soon be forgotten, not only because of his talent and his skill, um, but also his personality. And I would be definitely excited to watch a Gronk reality show. Make it about literally anything. Make it about dating. Make it about food. Make it about partying and party lifestyle. I would watch any of that. Give him a show on ESPN. Because Gronk, or actually maybe not ESPN, maybe a show where you can have something more uncut, like, um, I don't know, Comedy Central. Uh, I just think a Gronk TV show would be really funny, Um, and and I would definitely pay, I would have it included in my cable package to watch Gronk. Quick take, and this is a very big one, actually. According to Adam Schefter of ESPN, PN. NFL owners have made offensive and defensive pass interference calls challengeable. Obviously, this comes off of the heels of the NFC Championship game where there was a blatant defensive PI call uh, that should not have been called. Or, or sorry, that should have been called and was not called. That turned the tide of that game and essentially stopped a team from winning because uh, uh, the Saints would have won that game. Uh, now, we did, obviously, they can't control what happened in overtime, but the Saints would have won that game if there was a P.I. called, and there should have been a P.I. called. It was really blatant. And there's been a lot of discussion of this for years. I mean, it seems like every offseason there's some kind of talk about we should make things challengeable. And it's finally happened. Uh, coaches, according to Rob Goldberg, Bleacher Report, Coaches will now have the opportunity to challenge pass interference calls or non-calls outside of two minutes of each half, while the booth will automatically review any close calls inside of two minutes. Now, what's gonna, what this is going to cause here is we're going to get a lot more scrutiny around pass interference because it's always been kind of loosely defined because the calls have always had to be on the field. Uh, and so I think we're going we're gonna to really learn the definition of uh, kind of like how we've learned the definition of a flagrant foul and we've learned the definition of a catch. We're going to learn the definition of pass interference. And we're going to hear an infinite number of commentators be, oh, oh, we shouldn't review everything, blah, 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 blah. Uh, 
but and I do agree to some extent. I mean, this kind of opens up a a uh, Pandora's box of subjective calls uh, in 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 the NFL because this is a one of the more subjective calls that you can get in football. Most of the rules are set in stone, but along with and and one one reason I think this might not be as big of a problem as people might think, and what a lot of owners probably thought before this ruling or before they decided on this was that. This is a this is the gateway to a lot more reviews and a lot less gameplay and more staring at a monitor. But one could almost argue that the catch rule is kind of like this because we 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 sort of know what a catch is and it's become clear over the last couple of years as there's been more scrutiny over that rule. But at the end of the day, some of the things like making a football move are still subjective and I feel like a lot of the methodology that that referees use now to look up what was a catch will be used here. And another thing is that sometimes video replay in slow-mo looks different from video replay at live speed. And I know that sounds kind of stupid, but sometimes you'll notice that maybe on a replay, it doesn't look like PI. But if you slow it down, you see a guy grab a little bit and it looks blatant, even though he really only held on for like half a second. So I'm really curious to see how this is going to work out um, and if this changes. I mean, I don't think this change is going to go away now that they've implemented it. I think this is kind of a one-way street. Um, but uh, I think there might be some externalities from this that they're not seeing right now. Um, and I, I'm curious to see if we'll see those throughout the regular season. All right, off topic, a little bit of an uh, off-my-chest type thing here. So, I'm hanging out in school, and news and the leadership is telling us, look guys, uh, prom's coming up. Get your tickets. I say, okay, going, get some tickets. I look at the prices. They're ridiculous. There's a flash sale on Monday and Tuesday. Essentially, they're just dropping the prices for a little while. Still $60, which is actually pretty cheap. I'm not really complaining about that. Uh, What I am complaining about is on our learning management system canvas. I saw that we have this grad night thing, and it's we get shuttled to Half Moon Bay and we get to play some games and whatever. Uh, it, it sounds pretty fun. $125. I don't know about you, but $125 is a lot of money. And I get that they need to subsidize it, but... And and they are offering scholarships, which is good. I mean, they're not going to deny anyone the ability to see a lot of people, like hundreds of people, for the last time possibly they'll ever see them. But $125? I mean, that's like... Uh, I don't know how... That's like, what, a fifth of an iPhone? I don't know. Uh, it's It's a good quantity of money. And I feel like $125 is a little too much, and I feel like... I don't know if all that money is needed to put on grad night. I mean, I'm not sitting behind the scenes, but 125 times about, I'm assuming about 300 kids are going to go. That's $37,000. Does it really cost $37,000 to run grad night? Uh, I, I doubt it. Of course, someone could tell me I'm wrong and if they know how to actually run these things. But I don't know. I, I just hope some of that money goes into improving Wi-Fi or improving, I don't know, our lunch tables or something. Just a little off my chest. 
I, I know this sounds like I'm just complaining, and it's because I am. You're right. I am just complaining. But let me know if you guys have similar issues if you're in your schools. How much does your graduation night cost? Um, because mine costs a heck of a lot, and I'm not super pleased with it. On that note, thank you so much for listening to The Long Takes. Check out the podcast, bit.ly slash The Long Takes, patreon.com slash The Long Takes, The Long Takes, at gmail.com, rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, send questions, leave voicemails. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and I will see you... Well, it's spring break, so I'll, I'll probably see you next week.